Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones, and with me in studio is Shi who is, Tan, who is a senior lecturer uh, and ethnomusicologist at Royal Holloway in London. Uh, how, are, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I've been drinking endless cups of teas in the traditional English <laughs> fashion. The same the whole day of Zoom and more Zoom. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, right, that like, um, you know, that uh, tea drinking is like, well, it's this English tradition. I'm like, well, it's also, it's also an Asian tradition. It's also, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty robust Chinese tradition as well, among others. So, um, yeah, you're covering all your bases um, with, with tea. Um, yeah, and uh, you came and, and gave us a great, uh, uh, a great talk um, about internet sonorities of transient labor in Singapore and Southeast Asia, I should say that uh, Dr. Tan is a um, has a has a great monograph, Beyond Innocence, uh, Ami's original Aboriginal song in Taiwan as an ecosystem, uh, that's been called one of the most in-depth studies in Taiwanese Aboriginal music in English to date. Uh, congrats for that! I, I love the title. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's one of those titles which, if you were to input as keywords <laughs> into Google or Amazon, is going to yield uh, strange pictures of um, women in bodices and men in ripped shirts. Wow. Uh, yeah, Beyond Innocence is also the title of several or entire series of Harlequin romances, or maybe it was more than three. You, you wonder, makes you wonder, like how many people have accidentally ordered, um, you know, your book, expecting a, you know, a, a, a sweaty romance, and uh, instead they're learning yeah. about uh, uh, sonic spaces. <laughs> Yeah, you get like a weird reviews and have, well, it, it was, did not as... It's old grannies. My book cover has grannies on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, we appreciate, appreciate you being here. Um, one, you know, as a sort of, uh, uh, you know, fan of fan of music and sound myself, but definitely in the not quitting my day job category, I'm... I'm always, uh, I'm always, uh, I love talking to um, professionals and you are... Uh, an accomplished musician and, um, you know, an ethnomusicologist and, <laughs> I, I mean, relatively, yes, but yeah, okay, say, so say, how did you, well, how did you get into it? But that, the, the music bug got you into thinking about using sound as, as ethnography, right? Or how, how did you come to your field of study? Oh, it's a really long-winded story. Um, it started off with the delusions of grandeur as a teenager, thinking that I was going to be a concert pianist and <laughs> The only way to do that was to go to Europe, and I did get to Europe to. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Singapore, okay, and probably in Japan as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I had that eighteen-year-old uh, uh, romantic fantasy uh -huh. of, um, yeah, thinking I was going to be a classical pianist. Um, didn't work out, um, and uh, hard crash landing um, onto reality in the UK, where. Um, <laughs> did you go over yeah. on a music scholarship, or did you? Um... Yes, kind of. Um, a journalist scholarship. It was a uh, um, the, uh, the Straits Times, the old nice. Ministry of Propaganda, that sponsored me very kindly. <laughs> I think I was the first um, non-economics, non-sort of high-level academia, uh, dis academic discipline of, of the proper sort. You know, um, right? But anyway, so we got to do we got to do one of these that's not uh, an economist. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I'm very grateful to them for the opportunity. But the the thing is, you know, it realized. Uh, that that whole um, delusion of 
grandeur that I had uh, wasn't going to work out. I was never going to be a concert pianist because, you know, there's just so many good ones out there. And yeah, not enough concert pianist jobs. Uh, but I, I never felt more um, Chinese in London than anywhere else in the world in the classic diaspora sense you know people feel uh more uh whatever marginal identity they are when they are um part of the minority group is it you felt you felt othered in a in particular chinese oh, yeah. ways or was that or was it that i mean maybe oh, yeah, everyone that, yeah. a lot of people were asking me you know where are you from china um where where is singapore in in china i mean you know in right. my days um right not even understanding that conflation of East Asia, Southeast yeah. Asia, and overseas Chinese. They don't, yeah, all yeah. of those things. Yeah. yeah, and 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 this this we were talking about, you know, um, uh, the UK, which should really know its own colonial history better. Um, <laughs> but but it set me thinking that maybe I should find out about. Um, I mean, I'm third generation or fourth generation, depending on which grandparent you count, um, Chinese in Singapore. But I thought I should find out a little bit more about my Chinese roots, R O O T S, as well as roots, R O U T S. Yeah, I love that phrase. Actually, you brought that up. Yeah, not mine's preference, but yeah, um, but yeah. So it got me into ethnomusicology. And then, um, you know, studying world musics and obviously ethnomusicology is not the study of world musics, but it's more an anthropological approach. Um, and it made me think, well, why should I be pigeonholed as Chinese? I should just look at new musics all around the world. So my PhD was actually deliberately um, something that was not Singaporean or not Chinese, um, working on indigenous peoples in Taiwan. So I used to use the word Aboriginal, but apparently it's growing out of fashion and it's not as politically correct <laughs> okay. anymore. Keep up with the times, uh, check your... Yeah. yeah, but it's taken me sort of, you know, 10 years and a little bit more to come full circle into re-engaging with doing work on Singapore, but looking at, you know, like you say, uh, research from below and hidden communities and um, voices and stories that are not usually told. So um, maybe for our listeners, let's let's give them a little bit of the sort of you know Singapore, the sort of the the, the you know the uh, sort of the sort of runaway economic success in 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 Southeast Asia. But it, uh, part of that is the um, Singapore's immigrant population. What what percentage of Singapore um, are, are 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 immigrant workers? I think it's one in six people are. Um, migrants they may not be workers but they could be you know spouses as well but yeah yeah but out of this one in six um can't remember my exact statistic somewhere in the powerpoint that i shared but um yeah a lot of roughly one in 5.5 or so uh uh, people that you find in singapore are uh, lowly skilled migrant workers and you don't really see them in public spaces because they're hidden away in domestic homes working in caring yeah i just can ask what kind of work they do so they work they work in in domestic spaces where else would you find these those so-called low skilled uh, occupations sites yeah. which, you know, uh, are heavily scaffolded. And when they're not in construction sites, a lot of the workers largely from um, in the past five years from South Asia and particular Bangladesh. In the construction the industry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and regimented. And you mentioned um, some of the other groups that will come up in your, so you have Indonesians, uh, um, Fili- Filipinas, um, prominently. Um, what, what kinds of uh, professions are they engaged in? So there are, most of them work in homes as domestic workers. 
Um, so they do a lot of childcare as well as elderly care and cooking and cleaning. Um, some um, of them actually work in nursing as well and, and work in these particular industries largely. But obviously there are also a lot of, well, an increasing number of Filipina and Filipino and Indonesian white collar workers and a whole completely different oh. class of Indonesian migrants um, in Singapore who occupy the other <laughs> spectrum yeah. How how are how are they viewed by by Singaporeans? I mean, it's a broad statement, but yeah. Um, recently, the status of migrant workers has been a question of national discourse, um, particularly because of um, the pandemic and how infection rates, which by and large are much better than anywhere else in the world outside of Asia, um, but the infection rate are, are much higher in the migrant worker communities than in the local Singaporean communities. Um, not surprisingly because of the inability for migrant workers in hostels to socially distance. Um, and this has Yeah, when you're in a bunk room with, you know, 20 other people, people. Yeah. you know, what, what, how are you supposed to do that? Um, do you, do you think our, our, do Singaporeans, do you think they do they point fingers at the community? Do they understand that there there probably are higher rates there because of circumstances, not because? Do they blame them like, well, they're not clean enough, or are they like, what what are, what are kind of the discourses um, yeah. that go into that? Is exactly as you say. So um, before the pandemic, uh, a lot of migrant workers occupied a low status in society. You know, there was heavy discrimination against um, migrant workers. I mean. Um, outright racism. Um, they uh, were thought of as second-class citizens by, are still thought of as second-class citizens by a lot of um, Singaporeans, um, not just, yeah, of, of, you know, Singaporeans of many different um, social and cultural backgrounds. Um, although there has been a rising consciousness, I call it, some people call it Chinese middle-class guilt, <laughs> which I'm, <laughs> which I subscribe to, I suppose. Um, yeah, of um, re- thinking privilege um, and understanding privilege in Singapore uh, in context to the kind of labors that um, a lot of migrant workers who are part of Singaporean society contribute. I mean, the kinds of labors that are that they contribute that are so instrumental to the functioning of a Singaporean economy, uh, but are just taken for granted. So yeah, there are new discourses and new conversations being had about the the roles they play in building community at a much broader level in Singapore. And, and so some of your your the innovative way that you want to try to approach this um this partic- these particular communities are through the sort of the sound pa- sound space um acoustomology which is sort of a which is a great word for sort of the acoustic and epistemology um and uh, and as you, as you've said it's a way of experiencing knowledge uh through the world of your of your ears and the various soundscapes, how um, th- this this field in general is it? Um, uh, how how has it evolved? Um, how how widespread is the kind of because uh, it's a it's a it's a fascinating one that um, I think a lot of people don't realize until they s- just start thinking how it's 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 everywhere. I mean, it's unavoidable. Yeah, I think. Sound studies uh, seems to be one of the new 
trending emerging disciplines. Um, in... You're on the cusp. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, having said that, it's been around for a couple of decades. And, you know, you can trace it all the way back to soundscape studies and Marie Schaefer and, you know, 1970s and so on and so forth. Um, but I, I mean, I deliberately called my paper Internet Sonorities uh, as opposed to Internet Musicings or um, Internet Music music activities um and i don't really want to split hairs but you know it's not just about uh how we take uh we we as in you know popular consciousness distinguish between sound and music uh as um in terms of aesthetics but also many different communities around the world don't use the word music in the way that it's used in the English language. For example, one of the examples that I played of um, Nasheed singers who were doing religious chant, it's not um, categorically uh, in a Muslim context classified as music. Music, um, if you're going to be very orthodox about oh. things, is, is a completely different thing that in some circles is right. even an extravagance that shouldn't be entertained. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas Nasheed and Sholawat, which sounds like music to my untrained ears, actually is not classified as music. So let, maybe maybe we should talk about some some of the the terms. I think are really interesting. Um, one of uh, what, what are sounded spaces is a is a term that shows up in your work. What what do you mean when when you say sounded spaces? Maybe an example. So I use it as something that I use the word sounded and attempt to um, be more inclusive in my consideration of things that may be considered music depending on who's listening and things that are just everyday noises, traffic, birdsong, conversation, um, the sounds of uh, different machines and so on and so forth. Uh, and don't forget, actually, the synthesizer is also a machine. The tape recorder is a machine. Um, the, the mobile phone blasting a Spotify playlist is also a machine. Oh, okay. um, you know. So, I, so it's a way I, of, oh, it's a way of broadening that like sound isn't yeah. just like, hey, I'm doing a formal music performance. It's all of the things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just a question of aesthetics, but it's about intentionality and the way people listen. An- another interesting um, concept is the one of musicking. And uh, maybe give us an example of Singapore. Maybe we can talk about some of the ways that, and you mentioned that the, the way that it's configured in Islam um, and interpreted in different ways. But uh or, or maybe the how musicking can legitimize this sort of physical space taking and how that works. Yeah. Uh, okay. So one example is how um, making music, or in this case, actually singing Sholuat and Nasheed, uh, religious um, chant, um, is thought of as something that is a positive activity. Mm-hmm. Um that a migrant worker, uh, a group of migrant workers in an ensemble could um, engage in instead of, I don't know, um, hanging out in shopping centers and chatting very loudly or whatever. Um, Do they have that self-critical discourse like, like this is a better thing of like in terms of who's who's pointing fingers and calling or... or, or... Yeah, good question because there are groups within groups. Yeah. So so um, amongst the Sholuat and um, Religi and Nasheed singing groups, um, it's interesting how uh, a lot of these women um, have deliberately um, depicted themselves as the, the good Muslim Indonesian worker who um, doesn't want to hang out in shopping centers, you know, because it's just noisy. Maybe they just want to be quiet for a little while and they, they prefer to spend their time in a mosque singing and just being quiet there uh, 
after the rehearsals. And, and I don't think, and I'm not, I'm not I'm implying they're doing it for this reason alone, but I can imagine if you think of like family or extended networks who might be physically distanced because these are overseas laborers now, they can see like a concerned conservative mother would be like, oh, well, well, she's choosing to hang out at the mosque rather than hanging out at the karaoke or, right? Is that, is that like, th- there's probably, there has to be some like, the way it's perceived is, is, is more um, uh, meritorious or... Um, it's, it's interesting. Yes. And, and you know, others choose not to also see yep. themselves in this way. And there are also um, singers who do karaoke at the same time as they go to the mosque and sing. So, you know, I think that in itself was a, a really interesting revelation to me. You know, micro workers uh, have such rich inner lives and, and outer lives that they choose to represent and only show select, selective facets of. And, you know, it's so hard to generalize about anything. Um, I mean... Yeah, even, you know, one of the big revelations for me was going to um, Lucky Plaza in Singapore, where oh. you're just confronted with um, a soundscape of um, a lot of women, um, so higher vocal register, talking in Tagalog, which is so different from anywhere else in Singapore. And then I'm thinking, gosh, this, this feels, you know, very Filipina. Uh, it does. And it doesn't, you know, uh, when I spoke to a few Filipina workers and I said, do you feel that you're in the Philippines um, and you feel that this is your people, your home? And and one of them will, uh, I, I spoke to said, yes, I feel that this is my people, but it's not my home. My home is in the countryside. You know, the, the noise that you hear is the noise in Manila. And yes, that's very Filipino, but my real sense of my right. sound, well, my private sound, well, the one that I'm comfortable with is a cricket, uh, not crickets, but um you know, insects chirping or, yeah. It must create uh, sort of an Andersonian, like, uh, kind of imagined community where they feel this this simultaneity of being of being together and maybe, even though it's not, you know, they're not, like, reading the same newspaper or anything, but it's, it's just comforting to know there are people who are um, fellow Filipinos yeah. who are, I mean, do they talk about that? Uh, yes, um, not necessarily in very explicit terms, but, you know, walking into Lucky Plaza, you can't tune in into every single conversation, but you suddenly realize that this is a conversation that I can understand if I wanted to, if I want to put myself there, uh, as opposed to feeling like you're an outsider um, on Orchard Road in Singapore, where, you know, people don't necessarily want to talk to you, or, or in a home where, uh, for a migrant worker, employers might slip into Hokkien or Mandarin um, because they don't want the migrant worker to hear what they're talking about. Um, and usually it's about money or it's about the migrant worker themselves. And what's interesting is how these workers actually develop a new uh, listening skill. You don't listen for semantic meaning in the language which you don't understand, but you listen for affect, for tone. Tone, yeah. Mm. And you know, I know they're talking about money. I know you're speaking in Chinese, but she I know- She is not money. happy right now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And your work intersects really interestingly with all the way that the internet and digital access has uh, interlaced and inter- intersected these uh, these phenomena. Um, speaking of sort of maybe domestic workers, um, one really fascinating, and it you know didn't hit me till that, that you showed the picture of um, these sonic bu- bubbles as therapeutic bubbles. Maybe 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 tell the story of of Yadi. I thought that was a really interesting yeah. one. Yeah, sure. So um, Yadi is, uh, um, and, and that's not her real name. Um, she is um, a migrant worker from Indonesia who um, 
early every morning, wakes up to accompany um, her elderly ward, who's a, a Chinese gran a granny, to the her Tai Chi session in the park. Um, and she actually joins the granny for the Tai Chi um, session. No, no, no line dancing, or that's later at night, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, line dancing is very two thousands. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, but after after the uh, Tai Chi session, the granny goes to the hawker center and socializes with her other granny friends, um, oh. and they speak in um, mixture of Singlish and Mandarin and Hokkien, and the you know hawker center at that time of the day is 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 noisy it's it's buzzing it's alive i mean i love the soundscape of the hawker center but yari doesn't necessarily like it um she just wants some private time to herself so she hives off into a corner um, finds a seat and puts on her earphones and listens to devotional music by maher zain who is a swedish lebanese nasheed singer whom she found uh, on the internet through her own circles you know so she's really transnational uh, and international and cosmopolitan in her her own way I and mean, she learned about maher zain through indonesian migrant circles um and she is you know living in that sonic bubble of all these other people her employers are speaking mandarin which she can sort of understand a little bit of but um, she can hide herself. She can screen off the world. And when people actually see her with earphones, they're kind of like, I'm not going to disturb her. Yeah, well, I, one thing that struck me, you know, we, we all realize the, the, or if you have children, you know, like they, 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 they can use earphones to sort of escape from you and be <laughs> just be on their own or consuming the media they want. But, but it, it struck me that also there, that's not only happening for Yachty, that, that, that all of us like just to sort of... Uh, a privacy and a, and a but but the, but there's this connectivity to, in a speci very specific way to um, b because um, I guess I guess a, the question is would she be do you think counterfactual history here do you think she would be consuming the same media if she were back home in her sort of natal village would is this does this somehow bring up um, kind of a different need to that that is not being that would be would be filled by being surrounded by that um the normal like what's going on i guess is what i'm asking yeah a, a really good point i mean i was talking about how i felt very chinese when i was in london away from singapore where being chinese is just a doctor and for um a lot of uh these indonesian workers they suddenly feel very muslim and very indonesian when they come to singapore because you know they have to justify their uh, Muslim identity and the Indonesian identity and quite a lot of these singers actually are exposed to Sholawat and Nasheed um, for the first time uh, well I mean not exposed per se but you know as a singer they actually learn how to sing it in Singapore as opposed to in Indonesia because a it's uh, a form of you know social bonding you you get together with other migrant workers and you sing and b you suddenly feel you need to just you need to stake your uh, muslim identity here and doing it through nasheed singing is the way you do it um and and yeah it's a different kind of new internet cultural flow that happens as a result of the migrant experience but having said that you know a lot of these singers already tap into other kinds of hidden cosmopolitan um, transcultural and transnational flows like Bollywood, which is big in Indonesia, K-pop, also very big. Um, and and yeah, a lot of the Indonesian workers already are very familiar with K-pop and Bollywood by the time they come to Singapore and they bring it into Nasheed, which I find really interesting. Another phenomenon that was that was in, in, in related to this that is fascinating is that um, a lot of these um, 
these workers who are who who are low income they don't get paid a ton at all um but uh, a priority for them is 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 the tech right so they're not going to have i guess for our listeners they're they're not going to have computers they might not even have a television but how how do how do they use their phone is what i'm asking yeah a lot a lot the phone becomes an extension um of uh their their physical bodies um it's also uh their way of experiencing um the the wider world beyond homes or construction sites or hostels um and uh you know it's not just the phone as um providing them with internet surfing capabilities that they can write off um, the free wi-fi provisions of their employers but whatsapp is a very big thing amongst a lot of these workers um there's a lot of messaging going on and a lot of um sounded sharing like you know the Sholuat Miliji Nasheed singers actually share um uh rehearsal clips with each other uh via the phone uh, via their phones they they share mp3s they share um videos they there's a lot of musical selfie making which they share via whatsapp but also um use their phones to uh, access platforms like Facebook and connect with other people. Um, and, you know, it comes down to, you know, um, very subtle things, like even even when they cannot access their phones to go and read because they are conscious that their employers might be watching or they don't want to give the impression of, I'm always on my phone, but just hearing um, WhatsApp notifications buzz on vibration mode or hearing the vibration of an adhan as opposed to the actual adhan itself when it's you know on yeah, the silent call, the mode. call to prayer yeah 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 that is very very comforting um you kind of feel they kind of feel connected to the world like i have friends yeah i've been i've been in that um in that i had that experience in in southeast asia where um you know my my muslim friends um you think like, well, they must have a sixth sense. Suddenly, uh, at the same time, they're like, "Oh, I need to, I need to go." Um, and and you realize, "Oh, it's not, yeah, it's on." Okay, um, but like that, that that you realize their phones are buzzing and telling them they need to. Uh, and so, yeah, it must it must create again that similar like, um, I, I'm maybe not as alone as a Muslim in Singapore as I think I am. There are these, yeah, there is there is this larger group and. Um, and we can all, uh, yeah. how does, how does the, um, one interesting way that the mu- musicking and, um, um, kind of, uh, the mosque plays into this is that to, uh, say a bit about how the, the, um, as, as I don't want to call it, I don't want to demean it, call it like a social space to, to hang out, but, but it, it's, it is complicated. Like the, 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 the religious music becomes um, or, or prayers or practices become de facto ways to, to um, have relaxation away from their work yeah. site or how, how does the mosque function in this kind of fascinating for these migrant workers in this sonic space? Yeah. So um, there are mosques in Singapore and before the uh, influx of Indonesian workers in the past few decades, these mosques primarily served um, the indigenous Malay population in Singapore. Um, and in recent years, um, Indonesian workers uh, and, and other uh, Bangladeshi workers, I mean, some of the Bangladeshi workers also um, um, go to the mosques to not just pray, um, but to engage in other activities. The mosques become safe havens 
for a lot of these workers, but at the same time, they feel that they have to perform the good migrant narrative and not just, you know, treat the mosque as their private clubhouse. If they're at the mosque, they have to be performing some kind of useful activity. And what better useful activity than to do, you know, devotional uh, worshiping through um, religious chant. And that has, um, you know, uh, been a way uh, for migrant workers to stake space, to use space uh, in the name of um, sounded practice. Um, and, you know, having the mosques as a space uh, and having a right to use the mosque because of their sounded practicing um, makes a huge difference to, you know, being um, allocated a tiny little seat in a noisy shopping center. Right, and I guess, then, and for the custodians of of said mosque, it you can't really turn away um, individuals who are coming to, you know, yeah. uh, practice shulawat or nashid or um, use this mosque. So, so it's a, it, I'm not again, I'm not implying that that is the reason they are doing it, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a. I think they yeah. can all feel like, well, I, I, this is an appropriate space for me to be in, and for yes. all of these reasons, is that is that right? Is that too much? Yes. Yeah. And, and the mosque becomes a social space. Um, you know, if you're going to rehearse for three hours, you would need, need a break. You would need to um, eat your lunch. Um, and um, a lot of the workers bring their own lunches and they sit and they chat quietly and they respond to the call, the adha and the call to prayer and respect the rules of the mosque. And they, you know, yeah, find a complementary um, arrangement with a lot of the local mosques. For- I mean, for the churches too. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, so the, the for um, Filipino women, the, the cathedrals and churches, did they, they, is it a similar, are they, um, you know, I see lots of, uh, yeah. lots of online friends in the Philippines and lots of music, lots of religious music going on there as well. Yes, yes, there are similar arrangements, but yeah, slightly different dynamics and the musical styles are also very, very different and the inspirations are also very different. A lot, a lot more pop happening. Um <laughs> In the, in the Filipino musicking? In, in a way, um, I see more techno uh, synthesizers and mm. pianos and um, guitar. And so, yeah. But that's also deceptive. Um, in the mosques, um, there are a lot of Bollywood dangdut songs and even Backstreet Boys that have gone into the a cappella melodies of Sholawat singers. Uh, okay, yeah. Like Raihan style, sort of like uh, the. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Those are. <laughs> I'm, yeah. A suck, I'm a sucker People for those. Have, they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, for, for the, and you mentioned, um, Bengali, mostly men, probably, um, construction workers, etc. If, if you, I'm just thinking about, let's say if you're an Indonesian domestic worker, you, you do have a, a semi-private space probably in the house for you to, 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 to perhaps unwind. It might not be elaborate probably, but, but if you're if you're working at a construction um, site, there you know there's and so like is it is it more meaningful for these um, for some of these men who who um, going together in a in joining a migrant band music band uh, and practicing for that for that space? I mean, say a bit about those spaces. They were interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, most of the domestic workers uh, have intimate spaces that are not necessarily always private but certainly a lot more private than um the uh, men from than um, massive dorm rooms of yeah 
Yeah, it's like 16 to one room in bunk beds and then, you know, very, very regimented um, uh, approaches to where they can store their stuff in their laundry yeah. and so on and so forth. So a lot of them um, escape into their um, headphones or they go to uh, Sarangoon Road in Singapore. And uh, in Sarangoon Road, there is actually an NGO space that's run by uh, an NGO called um TWC2, Transient Workers Count2, um, where they have uh, allocated a room for these migrant workers to get together and um, make music, but they don't just get together to make music. They Some people get there to enjoy the music and, you know, just hang out and eat Indian food downstairs. So that's an interesting, um, that the NGO is, did they, is that something evolved that they knew was going to happen or they just wanted to create a space and then music happened there was music at the, at the genesis of it, or did music become um, kind mm -hmm. of a, a, a de facto organizing principle? I think the music bit came later when the migrant workers themselves were looking for a space to just store their equipment and then mm. one thing led to another. But it wasn't even just music alone. I think there was talk of starting a migrant library, which already now has come into fruition and, and there are just too many books. We need more spaces to put these books. So so yeah, um, the notion of also migrant workers as, you know, not just making music to socialize, but um, you know, acquiring skills as a musician. Some of these workers um, have only learned uh, how to sing in public or, or not so much learned how to sing in public, but have only begun to sing in public or, or learned keyboard skills or basic sound mixing skills, which they've taken to very advanced levels um, as a result of joining the band. Uh, in the same way that, you know, yeah, a lot of them are also reading lots of very interesting literature, political literature, religious literature, um, literature on Southeast Asian studies in the migrant library itself. You you brought up, um, I guess not to get too personal, but you brought up that, you know, your own sort of identity um, going abroad um, to, to London in that case sort of really um, caused you to really think about hard about what it meant to be um, um, Chinese or Singaporean, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm just wondering about the um, this experience for um, for all of the immigrant groups that you that you mentioned. Do you think they um, like? Are they? Is it a transformative experience? That do they feel um, weirdly more Indonesian or Filipino or Bengali than if they never left? I would imagine so for a lot of these people. It's not just transformative. It's probably also very traumatic. You know, yes. imagine having to leave. Um, your family. I mean, a lot of these women have very small children um, who have just barely weaned off um, their mums, and yeah, they they basically have to tear themselves away. But but yeah, but at the same time, in in so doing, you know, I guess you never feel more Indonesian or more Filipina uh, than in a place where there are the far less Filipino Indonesian people around you. It's yeah. a very classic diasporic. Um, yeah, conundrum. Yeah, and and uh, um, I, I just I remember I did my undergraduate in Hawaii, and like the I had roommates um, who were from New Zealand, um, uh, who were sort of city kids, Maori, but they um, they worked at the Polynesian Cultural Center, and you know, love or hate it. One one weird thing that happened is they they for the first time learned lots of traditional music, carving other and they became you know got tattoos they became way more uh, maori yeah. they you know they talk about this than than they had uh, ever been 
you know, growing up uh, in a suburb. Um, so is there is there is that happening at all for some of these some of these immigrants? Do you think? Yeah, like more religious or more. uh, Yeah, more religious and taking a a bigger interest in traditional culture um, and distinctly, you know, nationalist or or semi-nationalist expressions of Indonesian or Filipino or Bangladeshi culture. Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think uh, there's also a re-understanding of their um, own cosmopolitanism that is, is different. Um, uh, they are, um, you know, and this has been written about by um, scholars uh, working on Southeast Asia and and beyond, how uh, for a lot of people um, uh, who have come to work in Singapore or Hong Kong or Dubai for for that matter, um, these migrant workers are thought of as people have gone overseas who, you know, have taken an airplane um, who know about the ways of the world and yet they're thought of second-class citizens in many other places they work but they are super cosmopolitan in the way they can negotiate you know different um, levels of society and different cultural flows Um, I mean Ning uh, Jian uh, who is the leader of the Noor Ashifa ensemble that sings Nasheed you know knows her k-pop knows her Bollywood knows her Beyonce knows her you know um Chinese soaps, um, she knows her sholuat and she knows her dangdut and she knows her technology in ways that I don't because, um, you know, before the pandemic, before COVID, um, we were doing pretty much a lot of things um, in person face to face, but for a lot of migrant workers, they had no choice but to use the internet. And I'm not talking about high end technologies or, you know, corporate um, subscriptions to Microsoft Teams or Zoom, Um, they're using cheap um, um, back-end technologies and shortcuts here and there um, on mobile phones to do what they need to do and way ahead of the game tech-wise and I'm learning a lot from a lot of um, these micro workers. The, uh, the, the ways in which they're um, you know they're, uh, the, the perception of like if you think of like a, say of Sumatra and like Morantau like, like you, you, you leave and you go um, and you're out in the world and you kind of make your way and you that is a <clears throat> that that brings certain um, attributes and skills. Like they 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 are this the, the cosmopolitan. They the, the navigating these you know much more complicated everything from immigration to a remit, yeah. remittances. Like it's a um, um, the it's kind of interesting to see what um, the the way that they're. Do you think it back back home um, their experience in Singapore? How will that remake their um, yeah. remake their 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 own selves you know the 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 uh, as, a, as a historian you know the colonial states were always real st- very stressed about say like if you naikaji if you go if you go to mecca you yeah. come back and oh boy they're you know suddenly we don't have they have all different you know frames of reference and into like yeah. do, do you um for sure is yeah. there is there is there uh, uh are, the, are the are the countries worried about um you know what these Bengali migrants might be up to when they come back or what the, what new things the Indonesians have been up to, or, uh, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a far field of your, of your initial research question, but you might I think know. Janet Mato may have published on this, uh-huh. um, but I mean, I can maybe um, comment in terms of the, the sounded worlds and the musicking worlds. And, and certainly I think um, when some of these, uh, workers return for holidays at home or, or you know, maternity leave or whatever, 
um, they are thought of as you know more erudite. They bring lots of presence, technology, and are thought of as cosmopolitans. Of but they might even have a following of like of online, yeah. you know, like oh, yeah, totally. viewers and. Um, yeah, within the community, you're absolutely right. You know, um, yeah, do do kind of local celebrities kind of emerge? Like, oh, you've got to like check out the latest of. In in a way, yes. Yep. And um, not just for music, but, you know, makeup tutorials and cooking. Cooking is a huge thing. Um, and also cooking videos that are set to music as well. Um, oh, yeah. That are done you know, very beautifully and, yeah, with a lot of rhythm. One thing that one thing that amazed me, I'm, I'm on a few of these um, WhatsApp group with most Indonesian friends, but like how how they're they take a kind of what seems like a basic technology, but they have. I mean, it is maybe they've made it into its own internet, like where the the blend of 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 music and video and um, and polling and it's it's incredible. Like to say to that example you gave of the kind of the the um, you know the sort of the the taking tabs on 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 and people have to send do their do their religious homework. That was a great story. Yeah. Yeah, and and how you know they're just uh, neng. So that yeah, the backstory was uh, how uh, in order to learn sholawat and nasheed, uh, you don't just learn in the mosques, but um, the lead singer actually records herself, um, does a master recording of that okay. tune, and then everyone everyone has to record themselves and send back, and then she gives them like emoji rewards, and those who don't do their homework get bad cross. So does she set? Uh, does she re- she she also like critiques the their yeah. their record <laughs> yeah that's right she critiques and she gives written <laughs> critiques as well as some critiques that you sang this bit wrong but it's so cute how she's so adept at like she'll give them a bag of money like you know emoji money if they did it right <sighs> yeah i mean there's there's got to be a reality show a low-level reality show in this like of the yeah kind of uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah lots of interesting um facebook you know i mean of uh, uh, memes deploying of um, meme comments and more emojis and different languages so you know um, on, on Facebook when some of these migrant workers come together and get to know each other in different communities um, you can start seeing they're not just talking in Bahasa Indonesia which already is the lowest common denominator language and not necessarily the mother tongue for a lot of Indonesian workers right. um, uh, they move towards um speaking away from just speaking Bahasa or uh, Tagalog or Bengali into um, doing a mishmash of um, English with Singlish references that are sometimes um, a little bit parodic, you know, making fun of local Singaporeans and themselves at the same time. And, um, and sometimes people use Google Translate and you can see yeah, I've, see, I've, I've, I've tried to follow some of these and I feel like I, I need like a, a Sherpa to like, there's so many like embedded references and like, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like the kind of, they're creating an, their own complete interesting sort of, cult. I mean, you know, especially the Indonesians are already prone to use like acronyms um, and, yeah. and other, but, but neologists, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like it's yeah. A, um, yeah. And the ground shifts all the time. Just when I thought I had just, you know, gotten up to date with my memes, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I'm here so... I am talking about line dancing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I got to get over. <laughs> COVID really got to get over. I got to get back there. Uh, 
Hey, well, um, uh, it's been it's been great to, uh, to for you to join us. What could tell us maybe you know, any any plugs? What it, what's what's coming down the pipeline? Anything that our that our uh, listeners should uh, pay attention to um, in your research or any any um, websites or resources or projects that you want to want that they should uh, Google and click on? Um, anything to, anything to plug? I guess is what I'm asking. I would like to plug the ICTM, International Council for Traditional Music's a series of decolon- decolonizing dialogues, series on decolonization. And um, tomorrow, the first one is going to be happening um, in the late afternoon, Greenwich, Greenwich Mean Time. I can send a link, but, but just Google ICTM um, dialogues 2021 and you will be- and it's on decolonization. Yes, and it's going yeah. on throughout the entire year. So a lot of really, really important talks. And I say important because I think when it comes to decolonization, um, a lot of people in the global north, including you know scholars of color, have pronounced on the subject, such as myself. Um, but I think it's important to get voices from the global south. And the ICTM project is doing just that. Wonderful. Well, we'll, um, yeah, we'll, we'll tune in ourselves. That sounds, that sounds great. Are they recorded? Like if we can't make the, yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's two per month, I think. I'm actually talking on September 11th this year okay. on Chinese people in Singapore and Southeast Asia. Nice. So yeah, very uh, self-flagellation. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're, we're glad you're doing the work and uh, yeah, come, will you come back again sometime soon? When we maybe in person, we'd love to have you. <laughs> that would be really nice, and and I hope um, you're all doing well with all the snow. <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting by. I won't I won't get too dark on the commentary, but yes. Um, well, thanks again, and uh, uh, join us again for another uh, Southeast Asia Crossroads. And yeah, and I'll be following all of you. All right, cool. <laughs>